try it again. Good morning. My name is John, as Tom said. I'm the youth director here at Crossroads, and we're wrapping up our study of unexpected Christmas, that we looked at Jesus' unexpected family tree. We saw that Jesus had an unexpected mother, that Jesus himself was an unexpected savior, that he just did things that people just were not expecting. And we're going to talk about the last kind of piece in this unexpected Christmas series is unexpected angels. And throughout the Bible, you see angels just popping up in the story, and angels pop up in the Christmas story too. And so we have to kind of look in the Bible and see what an angel is, what they do, their roles. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, unexpected angels, the spiritual realm, and how that all kind of fits together in the Christmas story. So I'm just going to read three quick verses um, describing the angels in the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 1, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary went to her fiancé, Joseph, said, hey, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. It's God's son. Joseph kind of freaked out. And an angel came and told Joseph, no, she's telling the truth. She's telling the truth. Later on in Luke's account of Jesus' life, it says this, But an angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and she call his name John. That's talking about Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who was born around, almost around the same time as Jesus. An angel came to John the Baptist's father and said, Hey, you're actually going to have a son. Even though you're really old and you haven't had any children yet, you're going to have a son. And later on in Luke, ah, one more. Later on in Luke, it says, the angel said to Mary, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have, for you have found favor with God. And the angel comforted Mary when she found out that she was going to have God's son. So angels pop up in this story and pop up in the Bible all the time. So we have to go to the Bible to see what an angel is and what they do. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people have really a lot of misconceptions about angels because the Bible doesn't talk much about angels. They're a character in the story, but they're not the main character in the story. The main character in the Bible is Jesus. The, the Bible is all about Jesus, Jesus redeeming a people for the glory of his name, God saving people from their sins. That's what the point of the Bible is about. That's what the whole point of the Bible is God, God is all about God. So angels are in there, but there's not a whole lot of detail about angels. So we have in our heads sometimes, we like to have a lot of, we have a lot of TV and movie theology about angels, I think, that we get a lot of our information about, like the spiritual realm from TV and movies. And if there's anything I've learned in my life, TV and movies lie to you about everything important in life. And here's just a very embarrassing example. Um, when we were about to have our first child, in a movie and TV show, you know, the woman's pregnant, nine months pregnant, they're hanging out in the living room, and the woman's water breaks. What happens in the t TV show and movie? Everyone freaks out. They call 911, or they all rush to the hospital. Everyone's just flabbergasted, and by the end of the scene, the baby pops out. So when my wife's water broke, 
I just thought that. Even though I knew better, like I've had friends who have had children and it was like a 36-hour, 48-hour process. Like I knew that, but I've just been impressioned by media. So when my wife's water broke, I'm like, okay, we got to go. It's going to, ah! And I thought it was really more because I was freaking out because I was going to be a first-time dad. No, like I really thought like we had to rush. And maybe this is an entire other sermon, but I think what we watch and what we listen to on Netflix, on YouTube, affects how you think more than you think, like affects you more than you probably realize. Because I knew better, but I had that as my foundation. So that's just a side tangent. What you watch, what you listen to on TV, radio, whatever, probably has a bigger impact on what you think about the world than you think. But back to angels. This is a really good definition of what an angel is. Angels are personal spiritual beings who have intelligence, emotions, and a will. And those are all the scripture references. That's what an angel, that's what an angel is. A personal being that's spiritual. You can't see them, but they're a being. And here's really what they do. I'm not going to go crazy going into detail about this, but they praise God, they worship God, rejoice in what God does, they serve God, appear before God, they're instruments of God's judgment, they bring answers to prayer, they help people become Christians, they observe Christian order and suffering, Uh, they encourage people in time of danger, and they care for the righteous, they care for Christians at the time of death, that's what Scripture says, and I think this is also like a really good definition of what an angel is, that an angel is just God's warrior helpers. That's, that's I think it probably wraps everything up. They're God's warrior helpers. They probably aren't, they probably don't look like what you think, because there's not a whole lot of descriptions about them in the Bible. So just, who thinks angels have wings? Okay. Only one type of angel called the cherubim in the Bible is described having wings. And that angel specifically flies around God just worshiping him. But they, that's just one specific type of angel. Like they might not have angels. They might not have wings. Angels might not have wings. Like we don't know. Like an angel probably doesn't look like this. Like it, they probably look more like that. These like... <laughs> I'm just being honest. If you don't know who those are, those are superheroes. These are God's warrior helpers. These are, when people saw them, they were afraid. Like, these are God's warrior helpers. They serve and they worship God. Which kind of leads us to the next point of there's lots of misconceptions about angels. And I think this is the biggest one is that what an angel is, is not. And I, I hear this often, and angels are different than humans. God created humans, God created angels. Those are, those, they're two separate things. When someone passes away and they go to heaven, they don't become an angel. I know that you hear this kind of phraseology all the time. Oh, heaven gained an angel when someone passes away. And they could just be saying that as a phrase, as something they hear. But angels and humans are entirely different species, categories of created beings by God. And 
I think that's, it's, it's a good thing. People, mankind, humans, we're called the crown and glory of God. Like we are God's most prized possessions on earth. Jesus did not come and suffer and die for the angels. Jesus did not come and suffer and die for animals. Jesus came and suffered and gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we come into a relationship with Jesus now. And yes, when we die, the Bible says we get new bodies. But when we go to heaven, we stay human. We stay ourselves. And we get to worship and glorify and be in God's glory with him in heaven as people. As people. And I think that's, for me, that's so much better than being created into something else. That I myself get to experience Jesus as me when I die and I go to heaven. So I just, need, I just wanted to get that out there because I know there's a lot of confusion um, about that. But when it comes to angels, there's also the other side to it too. That there's angels, but there's also the bad guys. There's demons. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but we do need to talk about it. That all a demon is, is an angel that worships Satan now instead of Jesus. All a demon is, is an angel that's now on team Satan and no longer on team Jesus. So what, what happened is that Satan was just a really pretty angel who thought he was better than God. And God found out, because he's God, and said, no, you're not, and kicked him out of heaven. And the Bible says that one-third of the angels followed Satan out of heaven. And those angels who left with Satan out of heaven, those angels are now demons. Satan is just another demon. Satan is not a god. Satan's not all-powerful. Satan's not all-knowing. Satan cannot be in two places at once. Satan is just a demon who thinks he's better than God, and he's not. That's all Satan is. Um, some demons already already in hell, locked up in their jail. But some of them, the Bible says, are roaming around the heavenly realms, the spiritual realms, and around earth, causing chaos for God's people. Because if Satan wants to attack God, he knows he's not going to win that fight. But what Satan does, remember what I said, we are the crown and glory of the image of God. We're God's most prized possessions. That Satan and demons go after what's most important to God, and that's you and me. So that's what they do. That's what they do. So, and just, one, and just to wrap up, demons follow Satan as a leader, and they try and mess with God's people and mess with God's plan. So we have angels, spiritual beings, who are team Jesus. And we have demons who are now on team Satan who try and make our lives miserable. So, and a big question when it comes to demons, and if you read the stories of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it seems like every other page, Jesus is healing someone from demon possession, casting out demons out of people. And the questions I hear all the time are, well, can that still happen today? There's no real evidence in the Bible saying that it stops. So, yes, demon possession still happens today. You probably haven't seen it, but I have friends 
who have seen it happen, who have seen people possessed by a demon have people pray over that person and then the demon leaves and then that person's like back to their right mind, kind of like what you read in the stories of Jesus. It does happen. May not, may not be as frequent as we read in the Bible, but there's no reason to think that it would just stop. But if you're freaking out about it, I wouldn't freak out about it because if you put your faith in Jesus, Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Because when you become a Christian, God's spirit comes and lives inside of you. You get the Holy Spirit, and God is actually living inside your body. So if you have God inside of you, and if a demon tries to come in, they're not going to win that fight. There's no room for that inside of you. So Christians cannot be demon-possessed. There's no scriptural evidence for that whatsoever. So if you're freaking out about it, don't. Don't, don't freak out about it. Ah, next slide. So we have angels and demons and how do things work out in the, in the spiritual realm. That's commonly known as spiritual warfare. It's kind of a very good Christianese type word. But all it is is you have angels and demons fighting in the spiritual realm, this invisible place that we really can't see, and how that affects us as people trying, trying to follow Jesus. And all because demons and saying they can't come into our bodies and possess us, all they can really do is tempt us and distract us. All they can do is tempt and distract. So that's why I'm going to spend the majority of the rest of our time talking about temptation and distractions and how that really affects, affects our lives. And my, my biggest piece of advice when it comes to temptation is make sure your temptation has to get through a whole lot of Bible before it gets to you. Make sure it has to get through a whole lot of Bible before that temptation seed gets planted in your head. And we all really know what, it, we all know what a temptation is. Something you want to do, but you know you really shouldn't, but you really want to, but you sh- you, you're going back and forth, you're wrestling with it. You know you shouldn't do X, Y, or Z, but you want to. And I think the best way to fight against that is knowing what's God's will for you, knowing what he wants for your life. God created you, therefore he knows what's best for you. And you find out what's best for you by going into God's word, by becoming more like Jesus. The more you read the Bible, the more you understand God, and the more you understand God, the more you want to be like Jesus. And if you want to be like Jesus, you're not going to be tempted by the things you know you shouldn't do. And if you look to the Bible, if you look at Jesus, Jesus, there's a story of Jesus getting tempted by Satan himself. He was tempted three times, and each time Jesus was tempted, he refuted it with a scripture. Oh, that's not true, because that's, this is what the Bible says. Oh, Satan, that's not true, because this, this is what the Bible says. Oh, Satan, you're trying to use the Bible at me? Oh, you're actually using it wrong, and here's what it actually means and says. Jesus used scripture to fight his temptation. And Jesus had the whole Bible memorized. So he was able to pluck those verses out when he needed it. To fight your temptation, to become like Jesus, we have to read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible. And Tom, a few weeks ago, came up and he said, well, you know, I have to say that, like I'm your pastor. But because... 
we have the Bible. God wrote a book. Think about that. God wrote a book for us to know him and to experience him. And if you think about it like that, I don't know about you, that motivates me. If you read the Bible, study the Bible, you're not going to get disappointed what God shows you. God's going to speak to you. God's going to change you. You may not like what God wants you to change in you, but he knows what's best for you. And if you don't know how to study the Bible, go to your small group leader. Go to your huddle leader. Go to Tom or one of the elders. If that doesn't work, I'm going to sound really young. There's an app for that. There's so so many Bible study apps out there that helps you study the Bible, memorize the Bible. And memorizing things is difficult. But there are techniques for people to memorize large chunks of the Bible. There are people in our community who have memorized entire books of the Bible pretty quickly using the right techniques. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you have to put in the work. But you can do it. It's possible to memorize the Bible. The Bible is important. It's God's word. But then we get to not necessarily temptations, but distractions. And a distraction is usually unexpected. Like you kind of look back on it, like you, you've been going around, you're going through life, and then six months go by, oh, that was a distraction. Like that really kept me from um, learning and growing about Jesus. They usually just pop up on an hour, and you really can't see them coming. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over like the four biggest distractions I think people go, go through. And this is from my experience personally with people in my life, through my ministry experience. And you, you might be thinking, as I go through some of these, oh, you know, he's, he's a youth director guy. This is only for 13-year-olds. I've seen all of these distractions happen to 10-year-olds and through 50-year-olds. Because Satan doesn't really care about someone's age. Satan doesn't care. 62, because I'm assuming that's what that joke is. 60, 70. I don't have a lot of 75-year-old friends, so, but I'm assuming this happens. So, First one is relationships, and especially when it comes to, to friendships and friendships with, with, when it comes to, like, discourse, like, with feelings getting hurt. And especially if you have a really close group of friends, no one likes confrontation. No one likes going up to someone saying, oh, hey, you hurt me in this way, you know. Like, no one likes to have that conversation, but it's so good just to get it off your chest because if you don't confront that person, we say we let it go, but really we just kind of hold it in and keep it in and then something else happens and we hold it in and then something else happens, we hold it in and it keeps piling up, piling up and the next thing you know, you just explode at Christmas more, at Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner at someone and you have no idea why. Because people have subconsciously stuffed things in instead so of just confronting the person. This happened with me a little, a little while back. Um, we were at a meeting and it was getting kind of late and I had like a really good idea and someone in the meeting would just started laughing. And I thought they were laughing at me because my idea was, because th- I thought they thought my idea was bad and that they were making fun of me. And it like, really hurt my feelings. And I knew I needed to go to this person and then talk to them about it because I knew if I stuffed it in, it was just going to blow up later on in life. And I'm, I'm a teacher for a living. I tell little kids all the time, hey, go talk to Jimmy. Tell him you, they hurt your feelings and Go get a high five. But, like, I'm a grown-up, like, going up to someone and saying, hi, um, 
you you hurt my feelings. And like that's not like like I, no one likes to do that. But I, I went to that person and I said like hey you, you, like when you did that you hurt my feelings. This is how I interpreted it, and they didn't mean it at all the way I thought. And we talked it out, and it was just okay. And it felt so good just to get that off my chest. If something's going on between you and a friend or a family member, just talk to the person. It feels so good just to get stuff off your chest like that. But the other part about relationships is um, romantic relationships, specifically getting into romantic relationships that you shouldn't be in. And all the things I'm going to talk about should be like their own sermon. But like if you're a Christian, you have no business dating anybody who is also not a Christian. You have no business getting romantically and emotionally involved with anyone who also doesn't love Jesus. They're not going to fully understand what you're about. Because if you're a Christian, your entire life should be about bringing glory and worship to Jesus. So if the person you're, you're dating isn't on the same page with you as that, it's just not going to work. You have no business getting romantically, emotionally involved with someone who also doesn't love Jesus. The whole point of dating is to find someone to marry. Marriage in the Bible is when a man and a woman who both love Jesus, with the two become one and they worship God together. You can't worship God together if one's a Christian and one's not. It's not biblical. It's not a good idea. It distracts you from focusing on God. The next distraction is my favorite topic, money. Money distracts me all the time, especially when it comes to worrying about money. The Bible says when you worry and if you're anxious about something, you're supposed to pray. But at times in my life, when I worry about money, I just worry more. This is a true story. So one time... I was, like, looking at my bank account on my phone, and I kept refreshing the page, <laughs> thinking the number was going to go up. But it, if it, I didn't think of this at the time. If it's not payday, the only way, the number's just going to go down because the transaction's going to happen. And that happened. Like, I, I was scrolling, scrolling. Oh, that's right, I got gas. Oh, no, it's less than I thought. Like, I was having a panic attack worrying about money. And if you're worrying about money, when the Bible says we worry, we're supposed to be praying. The worry about anything should trigger us to pray. Worrying doesn't do anything. It could be spending money. I know people who, their coping mechanism for if they're having a bad day or have a bad week, they go shopping. They browse Facebook tag sale. They browse Amazon. They try and buy stuff to make themselves feel better, and it doesn't work. That doesn't fix your problems by spending money. Even window shopping, you could be doing better things with your time than window shopping at the mall or on a tag sale site on Facebook. It could, be, it could be working too much. And I'm not saying if you need, like I had to do for a season of life, work 55, 60, 65 hours a week to pay the bills because you have a baby on the way, do it. But there's a difference between I need to work 65 hours a week to pay the bills versus I need to work 65 hours a week because I need to make sure the savings account is at this number because if it's not at this number, then I'm going to worry and freak out. There's a difference. 
between those two things. Difference between working to pay the bills and working because you're too worried about the bank account numbers. There's a difference. There's a difference between those two. Third distraction, spouse and family. And specifically when it comes to, when it comes to being a parent or, or being, being a spouse, it's about being super mom or super dad, super husband or super wife. And if your goal in your marriage or in your parenting is to be super mom, super dad, superhero, whatever, you're going to fail because you're not perfect. If you try and be the perfect parent or the perfect spouse, your natural goal, you're going to fail because you're not perfect. Not only that, your spouse and your kids are not perfect. And just, just an example, um, anybody do something really special once for your spouse or your kids? Like you went out of your way to buy them something or you made them your, their favorite dinner or just try to do something nice and special for them and have them just not care at all when, you came, when they came home or received the gift? It happens. Why? Because they're not perfect either. So if your motivation, if your goal is to be perfect, that's not good. If your identity as a mom, dad, husband, wife is to be perfect for your spouse, you're going to fail. Your identity should be in trying to glorify God in your parenting and in your marriage. And another part about the family is sports and extracurricular activities. So, like, I'm a gym teacher. The seven-day-a-week job I did for that season in life was running a basketball league. This could be a major distraction, not just for the kids, but for the family as well. So an average weekend at this basketball league I ran for like an average kid, they would have three games on Saturday in three different towns around Fairfield County that the family would have to drive to and then pay money to, and then probably two or three on Sunday, plus practices throughout the week. That's an insane amount of time being spent on a sport. It's a crazy amount. Little Billy does not need to be on a basketball team that plays eight games a week. They don't. Little Stacy does not have to play a sport where they have to travel out of state multiple times a month to play a game, putting a ball into a goal or a bucket. It's a distraction. Plus, most people, and I would say this number is probably higher for this part of the world, according to statistics, most people pay $500 to $1,000 a month on youth sports in this country. $500 to $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year for someone to put a ball in the net. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. When you think about it, it's insane. I would encourage you, if you have children in youth sports, do the math how much you're spending. I think that number would shock you. And just the amount of time they spend, too. And think about this. What's the ratio of family dinners to games in a week? Hopefully they're close and even, but if the games and family dinners are like this, I would say, you know what, maybe we should reconsider some things. Maybe we can reconsider some priorities 
it could be a huge distraction, not just for the kids, but for the whole family as well. And this is the best, not the best, but this is, I think, what Satan and demons do. This is what they've done from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve are in the garden. Satan comes to Eve, and Satan goes to Eve. Did God really say that about not eating the tree? Did God really mean that? God, God, didn't, God didn't mean it that way. The biggest play Satan does, I think, in our lives, he gets us to question what God says. And I know the Bible is a really confusing book. Sometimes it's hard to understand, but some things are really clear and plain. And what Satan does to us, he gets us to say and think, Jesus didn't mean it that way. That doesn't mean that for me today. That was just for people 2,000 years ago. He gets us to question what God says in the Bible and that really takes our attention off what God really wants for our lives. And here's, here's a phrase I want us to think about. Because if you start reading the Bible, oh, no, it's not going up. Virginia, go to the next slide. It's okay to have questions about the Bible. It's not okay to question the Bible. It's okay to have questions about the Bible. Like I said, the Bible is really confusing sometimes. Go to someone with your questions. Ask for help for reading it. If you have a question, I guarantee there is an intelligent answer out there. And this happened in, in my life. So when, when I started you know, trying to figure out Jesus when I was in high school, I had a lot of questions about uh, the flood story with Noah I had a lot of questions about the first chapter of Genesis. Like, did God really create the world in six days? That seems to go against every science textbook I've ever read. How do you get Noah, get all the animals on that boat? How do water get everywhere if oceans are in the way? Like, I had a lot of questions. And from ages, like, 6, 16 to, to late 20s, like, I had to do homework I had to read books. I had to read articles, listen to sermons. And granted, that's a long period of time because, you know, I had other stuff going on. Being in high school, I had to go to school, playing football, girls. So, like, I had a lot, a lot of other distractions going on that I wasn't really, really focused on trying to figure out. But every now and then, they like, threw in my life, like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, had a que I have questions about, about Genesis. I have questions about Noah's Ark. And I did my homework. And I did research, and I came to the conclusion that, yeah, God created the world in six actual days. There was an actual flood. He actually got all those animals on that boat. I did the homework, and I figured it out. But it's not okay to do this. It's not okay to say, oh, God flooded the entire world. That, 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 that didn't happen. There's no way that happened. Actually, I'm going to do research and do homework to prove that that didn't happen. You can't do that. The Bible is our authority on matters of life. It's the fancy word for it. It's inerrant, inerrant which means it's without error. It gives us accurate information about everything it discusses. The Bible is true. It is God's word. God does not lie. 
It's okay to have questions about it. Ask your questions. Do your homework. But don't try and make it say something that it doesn't. That's not what the point of the Bible is. Ask your questions, but don't question it. So as we wrap up here, um, what is your distraction? We all have a distraction that keeps us from focusing on Jesus, from keeping our eyes on Jesus, like Tom says. Maybe your distraction or your temptation was one of the things I listed. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's just something you're focusing too much of your time on and not enough time on that, not enough time on Jesus. I have a distraction. You have a distraction. Something that keeps us from Jesus. And as we talk about, as we finish up this unexpected Christmas, unexpected angels, demons, spiritual warfare, distractions, this may be overwhelming for some of you. But I want you to remember Christmas. The whole point of Christmas is that God became a man and a little baby named Jesus. And his main job was to glorify God in sacrificing his life for the sins of people. And on the cross, God released his anger out on sin. Because the problem with our distractions and our temptations is that we really like them. We really actually want to do them because our hearts are messed up. That's why sin needs to be punished. But when you put our faith in Jesus, he gives us a new heart and new desires. That God takes away our punishment on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And he's able to give us new life, new hearts, new minds, able to focus on Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit to get rid of the distractions, to focus on Jesus. And if you need help with that, grab, so, grab a church leader. Grab someone who's been tracking with Jesus for a long time. They can help you. Go to the back of the room. Get prayer. Focus on Jesus. You can do it. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God. You have angels all helping you